This is InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's what's happening on this week's show. When it comes to America's energy needs, wind and solar power are free of CO2 emissions. But how dependable are these sources in meeting our energy demands? You can only access this resource when the wind's blowing or when the sun's shining. And so the real challenge with wind and solar power is how to deal with that natural variability, that intermittency. Then, are you addicted to your smartphone? A science journalist joins us to share advice on how to make your phone less intrusive. Our phones are designed, more particularly the apps on them, to get us to spend as much time as possible on those apps. And that makes sense from a business perspective if you think about how the companies make money. Those two stories and more are straight ahead on this week's show. InfoTrack gets underway right after this. InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's your host, Chris Whitting. How much can we depend on wind and solar power to meet U.S. electricity needs? Our next guest is part of a team that studied decades of weather data to give us the answer. Ken Caldera is atmospheric scientist at the Carnegie Institution for Sciences, Department of Global Ecology. Ken, how big a factor is current energy production in terms of carbon dioxide emissions? The main source of greenhouse gas carbon dioxide to the atmosphere comes from the burning of fossil fuels, that's coal, oil, and gas. So there's a feeling on the part of many people that we need to transform our energy system into one that does not use the sky as a waste dump. And one of the ways to do that is by using intermittent renewables like wind and solar power. Wind and solar don't generate any of those emissions. So based on your research, if we maximize wind and solar power sources, can we meet the total demand for electric power in the U.S.? There's a huge amount of resource available in both wind and solar power, but you can only access this resource when the wind's blowing or when the sun's shining. And so the real challenge with wind and solar power is how to deal with that natural variability, that intermittency. And on the other side of things, if you think of energy demand, typically it goes up during the summer when there's more people running their air conditioners or more in the afternoons when people are busy at work and less at the middle of the night when they're sleeping. And so this question of if you have this sort of wind and solar generators that are intermittent and variable and the demand is variable, how do you match up? those sources of electricity with the demand for electricity. Yeah, how do you do that? I guess in a home, a single home, people have a rack of batteries where they can store some of the energy, but I imagine that's not practical when you're talking about the nation's energy supply. Yeah, typically today in situations where people try to have huge amounts of wind and solar power, either they're in places where there's a huge amount of hydropower and so that hydro can be throttled back and released through the dam when you need more electricity. Or, as you say, there's people who use batteries, but batteries today are really expensive and might be useful for a couple of hours worth of storage, but to try to run the entirety of modern civilization for a few weeks on battery isn't really economically feasible. 
I'm just curious, when you went back through 36 years of weather data, did you find periods where there was a lot less solar or a lot less wind, or is it just sort of a periodic up and down kind of effect? The sun is more predictable because basically we know, at least at the top of the atmosphere from space, it's all astronomical, and it's really what clouds are coming in between the top of the atmosphere and the surface where the solar collector is that matters. And so there's variability to that, but it's reasonably confined amount of variability. It turns out that wind is really the bigger, more variable thing on longer timescales because you can have like a two-week period where there's almost no wind anywhere in the country. And before we started this study, we thought like, oh, well, if it's not blowing in California, surely it'll be blowing in New York or someplace like that. And that if you just link the entire country together in a big electric grid, that should smooth out the variability in the winds. And it does help a lot. It just doesn't go all the way. And there's still times when there's basically not enough wind anywhere in the country for weeks on end. In most of the world today, where you actually do have high penetration of wind and solar, what people have are natural gas power plants. And so basically they throttle back the natural gas power plant when the wind's blowing and then bring up the natural gas power plant when the wind speeds slow down. But if you're trying to have a close to zero emission energy system, having that natural gas plant there doesn't really work. And then what you would like to have is batteries or something like that, but you would need several weeks worth of battery. And that's just incredibly expensive. And what we've seen is that if you try to make a purely wind and solar system, you really, to smooth out that variability of the wind and sun, need something like three or four weeks of electricity storage. And just that's really hard to do. We're talking on InfoTrack with atmospheric scientist Ken Caldera, and we're talking about the use of wind and solar power to meet U.S. electricity needs and reduce the use of emission-generating power sources. Ken, we've seen tremendous advances technologically with solar over the decades. It's gotten much more efficient. Do you think there may be some new technologies coming along, perhaps so we'll be collecting solar energy beyond the atmosphere and bringing it down to Earth, or something that we're not doing now might come along that will help to unlock this problem? There are advanced technologies on the horizon. On the wind side, one thing that I've been looking into is this idea of airborne wind power, essentially generating electricity using kites, and then you can tap in to the stronger winds that are higher in the atmosphere. With solar cells and solar photovoltaics, they're getting pretty cheap, and already the dominant costs are all the frames and wires and panels and the actual solar cell itself is no longer the price driver. And this thing about the prices of the intermittent renewables, it's really kind of amazing because a decade ago they were all super expensive. And there were studies, one by the National Oceanographic and Atmospheric Administration and another by the branch of the Department of Energy that both concluded that if we had a national grid, sort of an electric grid that was kind of like the interstate highway version of the electric grid, so a good national linkage, that we could get rid of 80% of our emissions out of the electricity sector using primarily wind and solar at basically zero added cost over what we're doing now. So the costs have come down already enough 
that wind and solar is competitive. Ken, as we wrap this up, do you have any final thoughts on the whole situation of wind and solar and uh, meeting our U.S. electrical needs? Yeah, there's a few things. One is that wind and solar, I was skeptical about them for a long time, but really the prices have come down a lot and there's a lot that can be done with them that if they really are to meet their potential, we really do need the equivalent of the interstate highway system of the electric grid. For example, the good wind resources are often in the Midwest, whereas you have places like New York City and Los Angeles needing the electricity, and there's really no good way to get that electricity today from where the wind is blowing to where people want to use the electricity. Similarly, there's great solar power potential in Arizona, New Mexico, but you know there's no good way to get that electricity to Chicago. So you know if I were a politician and I was trying to do one infrastructure project to really help energy development in the United States, I would build that probably a high voltage direct current grid. And then this figuring out how we're going to handle that last 20% that the intermittent renewables can do. We need that replacement for natural gas, and it's not obvious what that is. It could be nuclear, or it could be natural gas with carbon capture and storage, but maybe somebody brilliant will come up with a much better idea than I've had. Ken Caldera, atmospheric scientist at the Carnegie Institution for Sciences Department of Global Ecology. Ken, thank you so much for joining us today on InfoTrack. Thank you very much. Next, advice on going cold turkey with a smartphone addiction. That story, coming up. Stick around. There's more InfoTrack straight ahead. <laughs> <laughs> 